The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by Didi of all Didi, Zacko. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? I'm doing all right. How's your Civilization Six tier list coming? It's coming up fine. Uh, yeah. I've been... Uh... I've climbed up uh, to DD levels, and I've gotten three wins on DD now, which wow. are, yeah, of, uh, yeah, pretty quickly too. Huh? I mean, it's my my first DD win was my tenth win, so I climbed up the difficulties quickly. And wow, that's like Legend with a free to play deck. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's just it's it's my kind of game. It's like Hearth. It's not too different from Hearthstone. It's just single player, right? You can play multi, but uh, like I like playing uh, strategy games where you need to plan things out and like, yeah. There's definitely some. There is. It's. It sounds weird, but uh, it's kind of a deck building game. It's hmm. a deck building game. We'll have yeah. to have a bonus episode about the similarities between hex strategy and Hearthstone. In any case, uh, let's let's talk about Hearthstone. Uh, maybe we'll have a podcast in the future about Civ Six tier list by Zacho. Just just kidding. I would listen. I would listen to that. Um, so yeah, our next report will not be on the twenty third. It'll be on the thirtieth. Though we will have a podcast next Saturday, the twenty fifth. Uh, the the next report will be delayed because they're going to change fourteen cards. Fourteen cards. That's a lot. So. We're That's gonna, a lot of cards. We're going to go over the last report of 21.2, because this is actually 21.3. They haven't done an, an odd-numbered facing patch ever that I can remember. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot coming up, and so we want to uh, put a bow on this meta here, and we'll get a balance patch, which should be like, I don't know, two to three weeks before the mini set, too. It's going to keep coming. Every two weeks, they're going to change some stuff. Just kind of been the cadence of Stormwind. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. Almost too crazy, but... Uh... Yeah, like the the patch uh, next week is probably going to be more impactful than the patch uh, of two weeks ago. Though the patch of two weeks ago did make a difference in some things. Uh, in general feeling, maybe it did not. But I don't know. I'm I'm feeling that there's no stealer on the ladder, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely, but I mean, if you read certain uh, sections of the internet, you'd think that nothing changed, but. Uh, in any case, we'll we'll go through quickly uh, what's been developing with classes, with certain classes in the format, and after that, we'll speculate about what you know the nerfs and the buffs could possibly be. And we did some homework, and we're gonna look into it. I've already tweeted out my speculation on what the balance changes possibly are, basically because Alec challenged me to to guess. So. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in my uh, reasoning uh, for for these potential changes. And yeah, we'll wrap it up. And next week, we'll have a, another special podcast about post-patch uh, impressions. And yeah, there's probably a mini set. Like in, in probably, if I had to guess, it would be on the 5th. The current speculation is either the 5th or the 7th, because it will also be the pre-patch for Mercenaries. And so that's likely going to be either Tuesday the 5th or Thursday the 7th. 
which means that it'll be a week before Mercs or less. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing on I'm guessing the fifth. Um, but we'll see. It could be the seventh. Like sometimes they release on Tuesday, sometimes on Thursday. I don't know, but uh, I kind of like Tuesday releases more personally. Also helps with reports after, but uh, we'll see what happens. Um, in any case, let's talk about what's happening right now, and with with obviously a view to the future as well. Um, we start with War- Warlock, obviously. I think everything in every format right now kind of starts with Warlock, right? Like, and and we'll just to we're going to reference Alex quote uh, his tweet ahead of time, and we're because this is going to be important going through every single class. Um, so just to give you a list up front, there are five nerfs, Warlock, Shaman, and Demon Hunter, one redesign and Priest, I wonder what that could be, a ban in Warlock, and seven buffs, Hunter, Mage, and Warrior. So the ban in Warlock almost certainly has to be the Demon Seed in Wild, um, which makes a lot of sense, but in Standard, that means they don't have to hit it quite the same way. So in Warlock, there are, there are a couple different decks in Standard. I think the Rod Handlock over Standard Handlock has kind of taken precedence here, but also I know that Fatigue Warlock has gotten a lot more popular this week. It's gotten popular and it's gotten better too, um, which makes sense, right? The deck initially uh, didn't play the best, the most optimal cards, and now the deck is slowly optimizing. Um, it's it's kind of interesting because the deck is it's very different from Handlock. Uh, the way you know is how neophytes perform. Like in Handlock, they're pretty important, but in this deck, they're not as important because you don't really pressure. And I found that uh, running Shadow Blast is generally going to be better for you because you just want to progress your quest, right? And Shadow Blast allows you to do that. It also offers you really good removal, and this deck is very removal heavy. It's... Dare I say it's a control deck hat, but in any case... Don't you um, dare. Don't you dare. Dare I say it's a control deck hat, but in any case, um, uh, yeah, Fatigue Lock, I would say, has a different niche from Hand Lock. Uh, It's better against the aggressive decks because it has better defensive tools, run things like Armor Vendor. Uh, That's pretty good uh, in in those matchups. Uh, It doesn't run greedy cards, right? Flesh Giant is kind of a greedy card these days. It's not eight mana anymore, so it's pretty slow. But you feel it in late game matchups, like if you're playing against Rogue or you're playing against uh, uh, Life Seal Demon Hunter, that's popping up right now. Then the fatigue lock build is worse. I will give you a tip if you want to play on a top legend um, with fatigue lock. And this is something I've been doing as well. Uh, and you're running into a lot of Demon Hunters and Rogues. You can drop mortal coils for altar fires. An altar fire can be very effective against both rogue and demon hunter. It, it's not going to make your these matchups favored by any means, but you have outs, right? Uh, you don't have to burn the Ilganoth to heavily disrupt. Like if you burn artificer, fell screen blast, those things, you kind of pressure the demon hunter and not use like you take away some redundancy of their combo pieces and makes it more difficult for them to execute their win condition. It's it's definitely more stressful as a demon hunter when you need to draw your whole deck and then six cards of your deck are getting burned. Yeah, and it keeps Glide from being quite as devastating too because you just get that much closer to the 10 cards or less line. That is true, right? Because very often Glide, the reason why it's good in Warlock against Warlock, it's not just because like it takes away card advantage from the Warlock. It also delays their power spike um, um, 
the 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 ten card left in deck power spike. Though in this deck, it's it's less dramatic, right? Because you're you're not running scavengers. Uh, but you, you do definitely want to get to the end of your deck. So Alter uh, Fire kind of helps in that regard. Um, so that's my tip if you want to deal with those matchups that are more popular at top legend. But generally, Coil is much better uh, throughout ladder because there are a lot of aggressive decks out there. If you're playing, like if you're facing a lot of aggressive decks, then Fatigue Lock is superior to Handlock. Uh, but obviously, in late game matchups, you you want the Flesh Giants, uh, Scavengers. That that package is really good too. So Warlock is pretty flexible. Each of the, like it's interesting because both of these decks are vulnerable. Uh, but in like it feels like you queue into a Warlock and they can be strong defensively and they can be strong offensively so it feels like you're playing against two decks at the same time even though you don't right like shadow priest kills handlock they kill them pretty consistently so but if you're queuing up into a fatigue warlock as shadow priest that matchup is far more challenging it's much more difficult so it feels like warlock can do everything which is probably why it's getting nerfed there have been a few times in Hearthstone history where it feels like you take the same core of about 15 to 20 cards and then you put in whatever you want. Um, Angoro and Mage, uh, Karazhan and Shaman, and there, you know a few other examples, uh, Ashes and Demon Hunter. But as of right now, Druid it's... Yeah. and Boomsday, start of Rastakhan. It drew it a lot of times. Drew it a bunch of times over the years. Like pretty much any time the KFT set forward was legal, that whole time you could just... You could cut all the win conditions and just play druid cards and beat aggro decks um and warlock right now feels like it has that same thing as long as you have the demon seed and the core cards then you can really do whatever you want here and it'll be good enough to win games and what i like about cutting neophyte the raised deadpool is razor focused in this deck like it's super super narrow that everything that you get back is going to either help you survive or draw some more cards or both yeah tour guide is really important for this deck because you don't want to spend mana life typing uh, life tapping so uh, very often, right, raw discounts tour guides. So you basically get free life taps and you raise dead, you get more free life taps. That is something that is often underestimated uh, by players. How good just raise dead on a tour guide is. Uh, also, Mana Feeder, uh, Pan- Pan- Panthera, whatever, you, however you pronounce it. Just say Mana Feeder. It's fine. None of us know. Yeah, yeah. But, but Mana Feeder is more like it's. The adjective it's not the whatever anyway um this deck obviously uh is probably getting nerfed i mean the rod rod is a card that's for sure getting nerfed we'll speculate about that later but um it, it, there's definitely a, a sense of versatility uh in warlock that is um maybe not seen in other classes as much but I will say that these decks are very good, but they are beatable. Like each of these decks can be targeted pretty hard by certain things, and there's a variety of things that that can make them uncomfortable. Uh, in any case, Warlock is probably the story, but the other class that, um, again, it's it doesn't seem that impressive on ladder. And some people said to me, "Oh, you know, Shaman, it's fine. It seems fine. Like it's not even tier one." at legend or whatever uh, uh people don't like gms don't bring it to tournament lineups right now it's not part of the core four for them so what's the problem with shaman well um you know i've done simulations what happens if you if you nerf warlock pretty hard right because it seems like at least judging by 
like Alex Sweet, is that they're nerfing more than one card in Warlock. Um, and if you do that, then Quest Shaman like might become like tier S, like really tier S. Because if you if you nerf Warlock hard and you significantly reduce its presence, you're also reducing Mage's presence as a result, then Shaman is almost uncontested. Um and Quest Shaman is just its ability to just completely dominate uh, board matchups, but just because of the presence of one card, Perpetual Flame. Uh, speaking of Droid, do you remember Spreading Plague, right? People uh, complain about Spreading Plague for eternity. That card was nerfed and was still extremely good after the nerf, and it proceeded to define Druid strategies for the next year and a half. Um, I see Perpetual Flame in the same tier of spreading plug in terms of being so utterly dominant against board strategies that just it's just insane for druid it gave them an out right like it gave them a way to challenge these aggressive decks and be generally strong uh, uh, against board decks which normally is a druid weakness but in shaman perpetual flame enables it to completely dominate these matchups right like spreading plague druid didn't beat aggressive decks the way that perpetual flame quest shaman does so in, in in some in some way it's even more profound even more defining of the format um so that card really allows quest shaman to just do whatever it wants in the early game and its late game is pretty strong it's just that its late game is outclassed by what warlock is doing and that matchup is really really oppressive but, you know, ask yourself, how is Quash Shaman, like, displaying, exhibiting a win rate that's over 50% in a format where its worst matchup is something like 75-25? It's got two bad matchups, which are 75-25. And those two decks that hard counter Shaman are two of the most popular, if not the most popular classes in the format. And yet Shaman still has a win rate well above 50%. That's crazy. And that kind of tells you how good it is against everything else. And you can so, nerf Flamed 2 and you're not killing Quest Shaman. That's not what nerfing Flamed 2 does. It nerfs Wandmaker again, which has turned out to be a limiting factor in the format since they printed it, that you need to get cards out of the Wandmaker pool. And also, uh, you still have a lot of options to Shaman. You just don't get to go Novice Zap or Perpetual Flame to finish the first leg of the quest and clear an entire board with Flame Strike for 2 mana. That seems reasonable to yeah. nerf. Yeah, I think I think uh, Perpetual Flame at 2 is still a very playable and good card. Um, in any case, if you wanna, if you hate the polarizing matchups of Shaman, you can run Doomhammer Shaman, Quest Shaman. That deck is worse. It is worse uh, than Quest Shaman, even though it's much better in the Warlock and Mage matchups. Still not sure about Bolt versus No Taker, um, but whatever you want to run it, it doesn't matter that much uh and elemental shaman is there there's nothing uh going on uh really yeah. with that deck i uh tried out the Doomhammer shaman and the first game i played with it i got vipered and then i tried out a different deck yeah, that's probably why it's not gaining much traction feels really bad to get vipered from a Doomhammer, and you know much like ooze um a viper is overplayed uh, definitely overplayed in multiple archetypes that run Viper and they shouldn't. Uh, 
I would say there's only one there's only one class that should be running Viper regularly. That was the class that definitely Vipered me. So we'll talk about it in two classes, I think. Um, yeah. So Shaman's got options. Quest Shaman, despite being hard countered by the most popular class in the format, still a good deck. Uh, but should we talk about the best deck in the format? Want to do that? Yeah. I mean, it's not even close. You know, some people say, oh, you know, Warlock is the best. And some people say, oh, <laughs> Contact Rogue is the best. And now people are starting to say, oh, Demon Hunter, Lifesteal Demon Hunter is the best. I, I don't know. Uh, Shadow Priest is by far in a way. And by the way, if you like, I'm looking at the data now. The gap is only getting bigger. Like in terms of its performance, especially like a top legend, this deck is so much better than everything else. It's just completely dominant. And we actually found a way to make it better. <laughs> like Peasant is really strong in this deck. Like it's it's a card like it's a card that once it got into Tauntrid, like it improved its performance significantly so. And now it might be doing it for Shadow Priest, but we'll never know, right? Because Shadow Priest is probably getting nerfed before we can we can tell. Um, that card's really good uh, over the second, you know, remember we talked about last week, maybe we can upgrade the second Deceptor and the Chaplain. Uh, we thought about Bone True or Brawler, but Peasant seems to be just the way to go. It's just so good. Uh, it just forces, uh, like, the thing is that opponents cannot really... Like, they need to spend mana removing a one-mana card from you, right? You're always going to outpace them. It makes them very uncomfortable. Like, if if somebody pings your peasant, I mean, that's fine. Like, if you're playing against Rogue and they ping your peasant, then they needed to dagger up in order to do that. That's wasting two mana for, for one card. And it's also very... It works very well with your vomiting nature, right? Like, you're playing Voracious Reader. You just want to get these low-curve low cost cards out of the out of your hand in order to reload so peasant works really well with this deck and it can really snowball like if it draws a single card with its ability then it's pretty nuts like it's a it's a librarian <laughs> basically and we know how good that one drop was so in any case uh shadow priest is really good elusia is really strong best card in the deck in the best deck in the game probably getting deleted I, I imagine that she's not going to be recognizable. And I think maybe any pushback that I've seen against Shadow Priest being the best deck is because of how terrible it feels when it loses. But the games where you win, you just kind of run away with it, and the, the stats are there. Like, we see it. That's the thing. That's the thing I've noticed throughout uh, the years, that the manner in which a deck loses often de- de- determines how powerful it's perceived to be. Like, when Shadow Priest loses, it runs out of cards, right? All of its losses are the same. It runs out of cards and runs out of damage, and the opponent managed to stabilize, and you just you just lose that way. Um, like often when it loses, it doesn't feel close. Like you just got obliterated, and that really skews the perception of how powerful it is. And what people need to remember and understand that it doesn't matter how you win, and it doesn't matter how you lose. The only thing that matters is how much you win and how much you lose. And that's what's crazy to me because anybody thinks that Contact Rogue is a better than Shadow Priest right now, I don't know what to tell you. I honestly don't know what to tell you. 
This deck outperforms Rogue in every level of play, everywhere on ladder. It outperforms Warlock at every level of play and on ladder. So I don't know what you want to see. You want to pretend that there's some field where Contact Rogue is potentially better? I mean, maybe. Maybe if the field was, I don't know, 100% Fell Demon Hunter, then yeah, maybe Contact Rogue would be better. But not the case. This is not the case. This is not what's happening. And all of, if you look at all of the Shadow of Priest's bad matchups, like the matchups it loses, these are decks like Fell Demon Hunter. These are decks that are not popular. They're not gaining a lot of traction. Tondruid barely getting there, starting to pick up more play. That deck counters Shadow Priest, but it's just not common. You look at Shadow Priest's performance against the common decks in the format, and you see it just doesn't lose. So it's very impressive, uh, very strong. I think that for some people, an aggressive deck is, is simply not allowed to be called the best. It's simply, uh, uh, we're not allowed to call an aggressive deck the best deck. We're not allowed to call an aggressive deck a skill-intensive deck. Like, if I if I come out and say that, you know, Shadow Priest is one of the most skill-testing decks in the format. It it's shows one of really the biggest... It's really hard to play. It's so hard to play. Like, some people, some high-level players will call you crazy for saying that, Ad, because how dare you say that an aggressive deck takes skill? Uh, it's just, that's the way it is. This is what the data says. It's performance across matchups at different levels, uh, different brackets, is dramatic. It, like, it improves in its performance quite a bit. It's strong at lower ranks because it's just powerful deck, right? But the ability to min-max every turn you play, right? Yeah, right. The games are short, but the decisions you make every turn are extremely important. You have multiple cheap cards that you need to play. The ordering, the sequencing in which you play them, the way you hedge for resources, the way you time your Lucia and set her up. It's not like you play a Lucia blindly. You have three mana left and you play a Lucia. You need to kind of think about how you do that. You need to think about how you use, utilize Gandly. There's quite a bit of decision-making. Uh, raise that decision-making. When do you do you trade, run things in, then raise that? What kind of cards do you want to raise that? How do you increase the chances of you um, uh, raising a card that's important in this specific matchup? There's so much to think about in these short games that makes this deck what it is. So... Uh, again, I'm not going to uh, argue with all sorts of nonsensical perception things that, you know, uh, people are just stuck on certain preconceived notions. And I will say the facts. This is what the reality is. This is one of the most skill-testing deck uh, decks in the format. All I'll say is that I've been playing at a pretty decent MMR lately, and every person with a name that I recognized on ladder, they were all playing Shadow Priest when I queued into them. All of them. It's just really strong. I yeah. think people are realizing how good this deck is. I mean, they're realizing it. Just that there's still some blowback uh, when we write a report, when we say that Shadow Priest is the best deck in the game. It's not even close. Like, its win rate is so much higher than everything else, even a top legend. In any case, Shadow Priest is getting nerfed because it's really powerful and it's the best deck in the format. Um, yeah. Let's talk about another class, though. That has the other the other best deck in the popular in the format. You talking about Rogue? yeah? There's so many best deck. Yeah, there's so many best decks. And now we have a new right contact Rogue. Uh, it's just yesterday's news. Now we have a new high skill cap best deck in the format. But to be fair, this one actually statistically performs. Uh, Life Steel Demon Hunter running final showdown started to pop up. 
a top legend. It's becoming more of a presence. Alutemu had the original build that people were starting to pick up, and then Rekvam, uh, I think I pronounced that correctly. Rekvam? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. He, he popularized a list that, uh, that cut the Lion's Frenzy and is all in on the quest into Ilganoth and to kill people that way. And uh, this deck, I've been playing this deck, and I, I played my way to top 100 with it, and I think that it's really, really strong. Uh, but it definitely feels weird, and the games that you lose, like you have all these clunky cards, it's a little bit slower, but you don't lose to Shadow Priest the same way. It's not just a blowout matchup. No, because you have far better tools to deal with aggressive decks uh, compared to the the Lion's Frenzy quest, Demon Hunter. And yeah, this deck is looking really good. It looks statistically good. It, it's approaching Tier 1 at Top Legend. Good. This is what... You know, we couldn't say this in the report, right? Because it just popped up uh, right when the database for this week closed. It was about a day and a half before the report. Yeah, we had no chance of evaluating it. But now, you know, uh, a couple more days passed. I can tell you this deck is approaching top tier one at top legend. This deck is really powerful. And honestly, it made me think of like the Demon Hunter nerf. They made that decision before this deck popped up, and now it's almost like a balanced decision rather than a play pattern decision potentially with the, the nerf to Demon Hunter because this deck is like, it's really good. This deck is difficult to play and it's statistically performed. So for anyone who says, oh, uh, this deck, uh, Contact Rogue is tier three at top legend because people don't know how to play it. Um, well... What do you say about decks that have a similar skill ceiling and improve their performance at top legend, but actually perform statistically, right? It's not like these decks are incapable of performing well statistically. There have been multiple iterations of high skill cap decks, high skill cap, that perform statistically. You looked at Enrage Warrior, uh, 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 Priest back in the day, multiple times, uh, I, I, like Quest Rogue. Um, there are so many examples that I can give you of decks. They were difficult to play, but also displayed a high win rate too. Uh, it's possible. Uh, and if a deck doesn't perform, then there is a reason that it doesn't perform. Um, in any case, Lifesteal Demon Hunter, very, very good. Fell Demon Hunter, I think, is going to fall off because I think Lifesteal Demon Hunter just has a faster win condition. And they're kind of similar. Like, obviously, Fell Demon Hunter is much better against aggressive decks. Because this deck is a lot clunkier, you need to glide. It's 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 lower, right? It doesn't like its survivability tools are better than Quest Demon Hunter, but it, it's still worse than Fell Demon Hunter in that regard. It's just that the clock is still far quicker than Fell Demon Hunter's clock, which is a deck that's very very slow. I think that deck is gonna gonna lose some. It's already lost some momentum because. Uh, people drop Ilganoth and then the win rate tank. But uh, I think that Lifesteal Demon Hunter is the way to go for now until next week. Uh, but the deck is very good. This deck is legit, like statistically strong at top legend at higher levels of play. Even I can win with it, Zach. Even I can win with it. I mean, even you have mastered the skill cap hat, uh, the high skill cap hat. Yeah, yeah it's the high the high skill. Okay. There's there's a meme there somewhere. But yeah, it's um it feels a little spooky. And so when there's a demon hunter nerf, it's it's brute, right? It's gotta be brute. Probably. Like I don't even know what else you would hit. 
I mean the quest, but let, let, okay. let, let's skip that. I want to go through the classes uh, uh, okay. quickly uh, and then talk about all the, the nerf speculation and stuff. So, so let's go through uh, Gray Lifesteal Demon Hunter, which is also known as Contact Rogue, which is like Lifesteal Demon Hunter without the Lifesteal part. Yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to, like last week, I wanted to wait. I wanted to see how this deck performs across matchups because I saw significant improvement in its matchups across like multiple decks over a period of a few days. And then what happened is that there was a reversion. Not in all matchups, but in some matchups, there was a reversion. And the reason why there's a reversion is uh, a reason that people often underestimate. They don't think about it when they talk about high skill. Is that there are decks that are difficult to play, but there are decks that are also difficult to play against. Like, if you queue up into a new deck, right, that you don't really understand its kinks and nuances and how it wins, and most importantly, how it loses or what it struggles against, you're going to have potentially decks improve against it over time as well. And this is what's happening with Content Rogue. I think the best example I can give you is Neophyte Utilization. Content Rogue is bothered by Neophyte, but there's a difference between a turn two Neophyte against Contra Rogue, which does nothing. And then like a turn seven Neophyte, when you are you feel like they're about to set up their field contact turn. That's when it matters a lot more. And people are utilizing Neophyte against Rogue differently and more effectively. They're also understanding what its weaknesses are and what it struggles against. So there, there are multiple matchups that I saw that made some internal adjustment that made that matchup like push back on the matchup right because contact Rogue got better in some matchup but then there was some pushback also contact Rogue is really popular which makes it more easily like it's more, makes it easier to target you're more rewarded by playing a deck that's good against it and the, so it got worse at top legend over the last week since we published last week's report where we were saying, let's keep an open line. This deck seems to have a really high skill ceiling. Let's see how it performs. And this is the result. And furthermore, this deck is proceeding to get worse and worse at Top Legend. And the reason is it's got a bad matchup against Lifesteal Demon Hunter, which is now the new hotness, right? New high skill cap best deck in the game, but one that actually statistically performs and happens to have a really good matchup against Contra Rego. It's at least 60-40 in favor of the Demon Hunter. So if you have that deck and it's growing in popularity, then now I'm seeing contact grow. It's when it keeps dropping. It might reach like 48% win rate. So there are genuine meta developments that are pushing back on contact rogue as making it worse over time. And this is the end result. So um, Contact Rogue is not the best deck in the game. It's not the greatest deck in the history of Hearthstone. It's not the new Patron Warrior or whatever you want to call it or whatever mythical prowess it's supposed to have. No, uh, it has weaknesses and its weaknesses are growing in power. And yeah, it's a difficult deck to play, but that doesn't automatically mean it's insane. Um, so that's that's what I wanted to say. Yep. And it also gets caught in the splash damage of not just Neophyte timing and learning when a Neophyte, but there are a lot more Far Watch posts on ladder this week than there were last week, and that's not a card you want to play against a Contact Rogue. True. There are, there are slightly more Far Watch posts. That card is really, like, if you don't have a, a Brain Freeze, then, yeah, you're in a problem. Uh, so in any case, um, 
other rogue decks, um, I think Quest Rogue is underrated a little bit just because it's just not getting any exposure or any, like, there's no advertisement for it, so people don't really refine it. Um, we have in the report a way to potentially run both Battlemaster and Wicked Stab. Like, you increase your reach, it's good. Like, against Warlock, you want as much damage as possible uh, to be able to kill them and finish them off uh, before they're able to stabilize, so... Uh, there, that's a there's a consideration there to even cut plunder. Plunder is not as good in that deck. Poison Rogue, you know what it does. Um, there's no, there's no different. Uh, like it's always been this way, at least for the for this expansion. You know what you get from it. It's Poison Rogue, yeah. All right, it's Poison Rogue. Through it. So you talked a little bit about Taunt Druid earlier about how it's just barely picking up. Uh, what do you think is leading to the rise in popularity there? And I mean, rise, like, very gentle rise. Um, well, I think people are, are picking it up, and they see that they win games. And they see that Quest Shaman isn't that popular because uh, people are discouraged of playing it because of the presence of Warlock. And then the matchup against Handlock is not even, it's not even that bad. It's close to 50-50, especially if you run more Divine Shields. Uh, the build that runs a lot of Divine Shield, it helps a lot against Handlock specifically because Soul Rend, like, you can't Soul Rend a board of Divine Shield and minions. You can't drain uh, Soul or Touch of the Nathrazim minions that have Divine Shield. It just makes it more awkward in a similar way where Warlock sometimes find uh, awkward plays like against Paladin. Like, if you're playing against Handbuff Paladin and they start playing a lot of Divine Shields, and the Warlock can struggle. Um, there's a similar story here, which makes the matchup close. Obviously, Fatigue Warlock uh, is better against all aggressive decks, including Tondroid, but Handlock is the more popular deck. And again, even the Warlock matchups are sort of winnable. Uh, and obviously, Tondroid is going to be very good against Shadow Priest. So if you don't see a lot of Shamans and Mages, and Mages is kind of falling off right now, then the deck is really good. And uh, the build that we have in the report is pretty much a perfect 30. Um, and considering that Warlock and Shaman are getting nerfed, then then this deck might even be better <laughs> after the patch. I'm not sure. I mean, we always have to wait and see. Maybe something, um, a more defensive deck that's currently uh, being not able to pl be played because it's been destroyed by shamans or warlocks maybe it opens up space for decks that can counter these aggressive decks better yeah maybe tantrud has a really bad rush warrior matchup yeah i don't know but the point is that this deck like seems nuts despite the fact that is unfavored against shaman and warlock and now that shaman and warlock are getting nerfed it might even be better so watch out for razor main battle guard i've said it before this deck popped up that card's uh, so stupid. This deck, this deck has the second highest winner hit top legend. Like, really? It's just like, just think about it. That's kind of nuts. And this deck is not really talked about much. I will say it's probably because it's not a good tournament deck because everybody's bringing Warlock and Shaman is also fairly popular and it doesn't really, its role in the meta doesn't really translate well for tournaments necessarily. So maybe that's why it's not getting much attention, but on ladder, this deck is really, really strong. That's it. Yeah. And there, 
there's what one other druid deck worth going into, I guess. Like Celestial Druid's not a meme, but it's a pretty specific counter. Yeah, and you might as well run Anacondra. And Anacondra right. is better and performs has a positive win rate. It's it's pretty good. It's also another thing that beats Contact Rogue very well. Uh like you're encouraged to be Contact Rogue because people overplay because they think it's the best deck in the format and 100% win it if no misplays. And then they run into Anacondra and they lose. And they run into Lifesteal Demon Hunter and they lose. So Anacondra is is pretty good right now. The only problem with Anacondra is the priest matchup, right? Generally, like both the Druid decks that run Celestial Alignment really struggle against priests, not because of Celestial Alignment, just because they can't stop like a, 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 a board flood. Like Druid doesn't have spreading plague these days. So, um, like, if they play Gandling, you're, you're dead. You're gone. Like, Druid, if you, if you play Gandling against Druid, they're just nothing that they can do. It's just over. Uh, like, you, like They start playing against Quest Rogue all of a sudden. Caverns below Quest Rogue. So it's uh, it's really hard to deal with. Um, so that matchup is tough, but still, it's the deck is good. And I think that if you make uh, Warlock, Shaman, Priest nerfs, right? I think the, the that Anaconda Druid is another deck that could potentially pop up, though it is bad against Tondruid, obviously. But, you know, Tondruid is a deck that seems to have really high win rate, but still low play rate, so people don't pick that up very quickly. Uh, so maybe could take advantage of that. I'm looking at an Anaconda Druid as a deck that could potentially be better after the balance changes. But, you know, until... Anaconda Druid doesn't want to play against, like... It doesn't want to play against, like, Secret Paladin either, but nobody plays Secret Paladin. Yeah, that's that's it. The the things that hard counter druid tend to be decks that people don't like playing much. So you can take advantage of that. Um but yeah, that's uh that's druid. I think the class is underrated in general. Um has two very viable and competitive and very good decks in the format right now and not talked about too much. Yeah. And then there's Hunter, which has also two decks and also isn't talked about a ton. Quest Hunter's talked about a little bit more, but Face Hunter seems like to be the better one. Yeah, Face Hunter is just kind of like, again, tier one win rate everywhere on ladder. Everywhere on ladder. Um, deck performs. But why would you play Face Hunter when you can play Shadow Priest? That's the that's the main thing. You look at lower ranks, it's kind of interesting. You look at the report, you look at the frequency graphs. At lower ranks, you know, uh, gold through bronze, platinum, uh, even diamond. Face Hunter is more popular than Shadow Priest. It is. Uh, it is a more forgiving deck to play. It is easier to play. Its skill ceiling isn't quite there. Its skill ceiling is actually negative. It falls off a little bit at higher levels compared to Shadow Priest that gets better. Then you look at Top Legend, and Priest just dwarfs Hunter. Also, Priest counters Hunter. So why would you run Face Hunter, which is a deck with a very... They have very similar matchup spread. They do very similar things, but Shadow Priest is stronger, also beats Hunter. Uh, Hunter. So there is a little bit of a redundancy um, there's like, why would I run Face Hunter when I can play a better deck? That's the situation right now. But maybe after the patch, things change and this deck uh, uh, comes back to the forefront. Quest Hunter is one of these decks that I think is a ver- is a likely candidate to be buffed. Mm. Um, we'll talk about how at the end of this. 
Give me my but, lock and load. Give me my lock and yeah. load. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's like it's close. You can see how this deck is close but doesn't have enough support. And all it needs is support. Either buffs or new cards. I can see it. And what also makes sense to me as to why uh, Base Hunter is more Paladin lower ranks versus Shadow Priest is that it's better against Secret Paladin, which is much more popular at lower ranks. Could be, could be, but I think it's just um, ease of play. Yeah, your reasoning uh, makes It's sense. a more forgiving deck. It's yeah. a more forgiving deck in general. Uh, well, what they both do, both of these decks do, is they destroy Mage. So Mage, you know, enter this two-week window of a patch with the hopes of, I'm going to counter Warlock and Shamans, and those are going to be the best decks or whatever, and that's going to put me in a good spot. But no, because your matchups against almost everything else is trash. Um, so Mage is just really struggling, and I'm really hoping, maybe not, you know, we're not going to see Quest Mage buff, but I'm hoping to see some Mage minions potentially getting buffed, because everything that doesn't run... Uh, the quest or like the spell mage package is just just there's just no viability there and the class feels a little bit one dimensional as a result um yeah it's just stagnated mage is just stagnated it's it's getting buffed soon so I'm very excited to see what they do with it and out of the seven buffs I'm hoping that mage gets two or three of them but like as of right now, there's one mage deck, and there's been one mage deck this year in Standard. And no matter how often they nerf it, it stays played and relatively viable just because the me- the mechanism that which it attacks the me- metagame is unique. Quest Mage is just an example of a successfully designed deck because it's it does not perform. Right? Its performance has been, since the Encanter's Flow nerf has been... Tier three, borderline tier four. A forty-eight percent win rate has not stopped people playing this deck ever. But yeah, but people because people love playing it because for a lot of people it's fun, and I think a game is about having fun. So in that term, I think this is a design win for for Team Five, and I know some people again will not like what I say because supposedly uh, uh, Quest Mage oppresses. Uh, some imaginary control decks that uh, just run a 29 removal in a single win condition and they can't play that deck because of Quest Mage. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of late game strategies that still beat Quest Mage because if they have proactive win conditions, they can get them online before the Quest Mage can do anything. And that's the situation. If that wasn't the case, then Quest Mage would be good, but it isn't. Um... So Quest Mage is overplayed, low win rate. Let's talk about a class that's high win rate, underplayed. That's Paladin. I think it will be forever that case. I think for Paladin to be popular, its win rate needs to be extremely high because it seems like, to me, the class identity of Paladin just doesn't suit most players' tastes. It's just... like it seems most to be this class. Most high level. It's players. not just high level. I wouldn't say just high legend players. Um, I think it just like I'm not a top player, and I still find Paladin boring. Right? It's just for me, Paladin is boring the way it is right now. 
because it just plays stuff and then hits in the face and it doesn't like it feels paladin like hand buff paladin is a deck that feels very flavorful right but when you play the deck like when i played the deck after a few games i just got bored of it so that's me subjective right but it just seems to be um a pattern that other players also share so Paladin performs really well. The deck is really, especially Secret Paladin performs well. Handbuff Paladin doesn't perform as well because mostly because people will still run Conviction. Similar to the Quest Rogue problem, if a deck doesn't get exposure, if a deck isn't like if you new lists, uh, new sources don't propagate new builds and adjustments after a patch or whatever, then people will keep playing the old thing. Uh, running two Convictions. It's just such a hit on your win rate in Handbuff Paladin, which is kind of funny because the card is still good in Secret Paladin, but in Handbuff Paladin, it's a straight-up liability. You just straight-up don't want that card. Um, it's just not efficient enough for what you want to do. And Handbuff Paladin will probably be at least 1%, 1.5%, maybe even 2% better if, they just, if people just ran the list that we had in the report. Like, yeah, you can... Add another holy spell like a blessing of authority and run two night of anointments. That is an option, but the main thing is don't run conviction. Um, but there were actually developments in Paladin this week. There's actually something new. Well, not new, but new to this old meta. New. Yes, old new. Yeah, refreshed. Yeah. So the main uh, story of Paladin this week is Liban Paladin. And Libampelon picked up play over the last week. It also, it seems to have gotten better at its performance over time as it gained traction. And this deck looks playable. It looks competitive. Its win rate is fine. Uh, dare I say a control deck, another control deck is viable in the format. No, no, no. This has minions but, in the four and five drop slots. This is mid-range. That's how that works. Oh, yeah, of course. This is mid-range because eventually it plays an 8-8 eight, eight and, and kills you with it. Um, yeah, so Lip and Palin looks okay, and it's it's quite impressive the way it performs despite the fact that it's it's bad against Warlock, right? Uh, it's not good against Warlock. Uh, the Fatigue Lock matchup is oppressive. The Handlock matchup is uh, unfavored. Uh, it's not good against Quest Shaman, right? It's obviously really the worst, like one of the worst matchups is Quest Mage. And yet, it shows up. It performs quite well. Its win rate is close to 50%, uh, hovering sometimes above it, uh, uh, sometimes a little below it, but it's around 50%, and it's not like it's tanking or anything. It's not like it's trending down. People are picking it up, and it performs. It also, probably can improve. Like the Pandaren, uh, there's a popular list that propagated with Pandaren and Porter. We can probably do better than Pandaren and Porter uh, in this deck. So this deck, despite... Not showing, not performing particularly well against other late game strategies, is still really good because it did. Like for example, it's really good against Demon Hunter. It's really good against Shadow Priest. Uh, those those classes have gained a lot of traction recently. So, um, Libin Paladin is competitive and is viable, and you can play it, and you can definitely do well with it. But if we're looking at the patch. And potential nerfs to Shaman and Warlock, that, those are big upgrades for Paladin, for Lib and Paladin specifically. Because if you slow down uh, those quest decks, 
then there's more space for something like Liberum Paladin. I think it's a classic example. I'm really glad that this deck actually emerged because it gives me a great example of a deck that has a certain late game strategy that got pushed out because of quest lines. And if you slow them down just a little bit more, then it can enter that space. So Liberum Paladin is a really good example of that. And I'm hoping that people pick it up or at least experiment with it after the patch and we can see how it performs uh, uh, after the patch and if it can end up being viable then I think it can have serve a, a really good role in the meta um, yeah and it's pretty good it's okay I know people are tired of it but if we end up in a meta game where the best thing to do is Librum of Hope it usually means the meta is somewhat healthy it can be a little boring but that's one of the healthier things to have as a late game strategy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's gonna be. I don't think it's gonna be the, the best thing. It won't uh, be the best thing. Yeah, but it could be a competitive but thing it, to it, do. If it's one of the more, if it's going to be a competitive thing, maybe even better than it is right now, which is still, I will say, the win rate right now is quite good. Um, then, but if it's like if a win rate like that with a high popularity or a higher popularity or a significant present because right now it's played it's pretty low but if it picks up and stays around this win rate or even picks up a little bit then then yeah i think that's a that's a good indication for the meta uh but again like it's it's a question it's a paladin deck i will i, I will say this deck is not as stigmatized as the more aggressive paladin decks but uh well i mean we'll see this is one of the decks that i'm looking at that can potentially enter a space where, you know, Warlock and Shaman are pushed out a little bit. There's potentially fertile ground post-nerf. And also, yeah, there's sure. potentially fertile ground for Warrior post-nerf, because there certainly isn't any right now. Quest Warrior is not a thing, and Rush Warrior is not played, so we're just, we're just waiting. Rush Warrior's win rate is around 50%. It's around 50%. It's kind of the same thing as before. It's just that there's no interest in the from the player base to play it because it's boring. Again, subjective, but for me, Rush Warrior was also uh, you know played out. You know, we've had it through Barons. I think it's a deck that symbolizes uh, the Barons meta maybe more than any other deck. When I think about Barons, the first thing that pops up in my head, the first two things is Control Priest and Rush Warrior. So. Uh, it seems like decks that come from Barons just don't... You see Death Rattle, Demon Hunter, same story. Uh, people are just not interested. Elemental Shaman sees play, but, you know, drops off. Top Legend players don't care for it. it it's Barons. So the Barons effect definitely has there. And there's definitely um, room to encourage the players to utilize this class. Late game strategies of Warrior Year are obviously struggling. And maybe if they slow things down, um, then maybe they can enter that space. You know, maybe Troublemaker becomes a card that's more relevant. Remember back when the metagame was about Troublemaker, Librum of Hope, and Illidari Inquisitor? You just played all these sevens and eights that made eight eights, and it's like, oh, that was you know, the meta. Yeah. But honestly, honestly, I prefer this meta for sure. Like the late yeah. game win conditions are just more exciting. They're more interesting. They're just more fun. Uh, like I just like 
trudging along with inquisitors and and troublemakers is just not you know okay it's, i wouldn't i wouldn't say anything that inquisitor does is qualifies as trudging i agree with you i like this more but inquisitor does not trudge inquisitor smacks i mean slow it's turn nine no it's turn seven you gotta play your four drop you gotta play your raging fell screamer it's a better king crush. What is what is right? It's not. It's a big upgrade, but it's still king crush. So, <laughs> Dino Tamer Brand was a big upgrade too. Yeah, for me, that's not like that's not a very elaborate win condition, right? Uh, Zach, are you a high skill cap gamer? No, it's just more <laughs> interesting to build up win conditions rather than dropping a single card down and saying this is how I win. Like for me, that's that's the situation. For other players, maybe not. But I just think that something that's underestimated at Stormwind is that the expansion increased the complexity of the the game, and you have yeah, you have more high skill cap. In in Barons, you had uh, Control Priest and Miracle Rogue, and Barons Miracle Rogue is still was a challenging deck, but compared to Contact Rogue right now. It's almost like a curved deck in comparison in terms of the complexity. So I think that Stormwind injected a lot of complexity. But, you know, this is another conversation. Let's talk about the patch. Let's speculate about the patch. Okay. So we'll go back to that tweet that Alec made. Five nerfs, Warlock, Shaman, Demon, Hunter, a redesign and Priest, Abandoned Warlock, and seven buffs in Hunter, Mage, and Warrior. And Alec was asked... Uh, does this mean we will not hear the change until next week, or will you spoil them? And Alex said, basically, this is it until patch notes, but I'm sure Zach can figure out a list. You got called out, so you got to yeah, share your list. I got I got challenged, so I tweeted back my speculation on the changes, and I'll explain what they are. So Alec basically said five nerfs, right? One rework, one ban. And then seven buffs. We'll get to the buffs after. Uh, but he said five nerfs, warlock, shaman, demon hunter, in that order, right? So for me, uh, the composition of ner- number of nerfs uh, have to be two, two to one. Like it has to be two warlock nerfs, two shaman nerfs, and two, one, one demon hunter. It seems excessive to me. Like demon hunter, there's no chance it's two cards, right? I cannot think of two cards that deserve it. There's just one. There's only one. Yeah. The thing is, with Demon Hunter, is that if they make a nerf, it wouldn't be because of power reasons, because Demon Hunter is not a power outlier, so it has to be a feels nerf, and making two changes for Demon Hunter when it's a feels nerf seems weird, right? It does, does doesn't make sense. I also find it unlikely that they were making that they would make three warlock nerfs and one shaman nerfs and the reason is if that they're if they're nerfing warlock that hard it means that shaman also needs to be significantly nerfed right if warlock the changes were t- light then maybe you even leave shaman alone but they since they decided to make significant warlock changes also based on the ban you can see that they're mindful of it then to me it seems more to make more sense that there are two shaman nerfs. So the composition has to be two to one. So what are the warlock nerfs? The one card I think is easy to predict is Rod. Why? It kind of behaves like an encanter's flow. It kind of circumvents the nerf, the previous nerf to flesh giant in a way. Uh, it just makes, it, it just feels bad, right? They play Rod on three and uh, like they can completely snowball and accelerate the game. Yeah, and just they just go way too fast. Also, it's I, a very yeah, 
You don't need to it's explain just, this it, nerf to anyone that's ever played against this card or anyone that has ever coined Rod into Backfire. Like, it's gross. It doesn't cost the right amount of mana. It needs to be more. Like, that. it's it's about as clear as yeah. it can be. Yeah, yeah. So you push it to four mana. I think that nerf is very likely. I'm like 95% sure that Rod is getting pushed to five, uh, to four mana. No, the other changes. It's 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 tricky, but I think I've kind of narrowed it down. And here's my reasoning. So there are multiple cards in Warlock that are strong, right? You've got Soul Rand, you've got Touch of the Nathrezim, you got Blackfire. Those are three, maybe the 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 some of the best cards in Warlock. But obviously, you also have the quest, Demon Seed, that could also be nerfed. Um, based on the fact that there is a ban, we, it's very safe to say that Demon Seed is the card that's getting banned. The question is, do we also nerf it for standard in, uh, and not just ban it in WoW? Because some people said to me, because I'm I'm saying they're probably nerfed, nerfing the Demon Seed as well. And they're saying, Zach, it doesn't make sense. They're banning the quest in WoW, so it's probably fine enough in standard. But my thinking is what they're trying to do with these balance changes is to slow Warlock down. You don't slow Warlock down by nerfing its survivability tools. Look at the cards, like some of the cards in question. Solren, Touch of the Nathrezim. Warlock already loses to an aggro deck like Shadow Priest. In, if you're playing Handlock, you lose to Shadow Priest. You lose to Face Hunter. If you nerf Warlock's survivability, what you're doing, you're encouraging the meta to get faster in order to aggro down the Handlock. But what you want to do with these balance changes is that you don't want to accelerate the meta. You don't want to make the meta encourage people to play aggressive decks. What you want to do is you want to encourage decks like Liberum Paladin to pop up in greater numbers. More strategies that focus on some sort of late game power spike. The way to do that is you slow Warlock's win condition down. And the only way you do that is by nerfing a card like Mithril Rod and nerfing a card like maybe Backfire or nerfing the Demon Seed. Now, for me, Backfire is a card that's very awkward to nerf without making it unplayable. It's also a card draw card, which I dislike, strongly dislike nerfing in general. So I think the thing that makes the most sense is slowing down Demon Seed. Uh, Again, Demon Seed, you can nerf it in two ways. You can make people, like, you can make the Warlock have to deal more damage uh, to themselves in order to progress the quest, or you nerf the lifesteal ability. And again, nerfing the lifesteal reward, the phase of deal three damage and lifesteal, again, encourages people to get under the Warlock. But you want decks to compete with it in the late game. So what you want to do is you nerf its late game. The only way you do that is make the quest slower. So that's what I think that they're going to do. And similar reasoning... In Shaman, I think it's safe to say that Quest Shaman's dominance of board-centric strategies is way too high and needs to be dealt with. And you do that by nerfing Perpetual Flame, probably to two mana. It will probably still be a good card. But then you also look at the late game because Shaman's late game is very powerful and would look a lot more powerful if Warlock wasn't around. 
So if you're nerfing Warlock's late game, you might consider nerfing Shaman's late game. And the way you do that is, again, nerfing the quest. That's the only thing that makes sense. You can nerf Charge Call, but I don't think that's very impactful. If you nerf Charge Call to 4 mana, I don't think that does enough. No. It's, that deck isn't constrained by mana at that point. They draw a single Lightning Bloom and you haven't nerfed a thing. Yeah. So now, I've talked about... Um, there are multiple possibilities where you can nerf the Shaman and slow them down. One is we keep talking about the first phase, unlocking your mana crystals, maybe change that reward so that Shaman can't just, like they really accelerate off of that first phase and it sets them up for success in the late game. And it makes Bloom super gross, right? Like it's, and that's the thing about the first phase. It makes Bloom so, so gross. Yeah. Or like right now, uh, uh, the Shaman procs, I think go three overloads, three overloads, two overloads. Yeah, three, three, and two. So you can just do it three, three, three and slow Shaman uh, the, the quest more. Uh, you can do Warlock seven, eight, nine ticks. In terms of damage, yeah. What do you think about? What do you think about moving the quest rewards to seven mana for either of these? Uh, nerfing um, Hamzen and Brukan, yeah, just move them to seven. You could do that. That could work as well. Uh, you can you can slow down the play, make it so that they brucon. It's harder for them to charge call in the same turn. Um, it, it can work. I think it's a little. They're unlikely to do it because it breaks symmetry. But this is also, but they move Nizoth to nine. True, but they kind of want to make it viable there. I think that they really uh, value symmetry. Like and have all the mercenaries cost the same amount of mana. Uh, it makes sense flavor wise. I'm also, I'm not sure it ma- it's gonna matter as much. Like if you nerf Tamsin to seven, I don't think it does enough. Uh, for like against Warlock in late game against other late game decks. Like I'm, I'm thinking about, like I'm thinking about the Libran Paladin. I think that. It's more important to slow down the quest than like nerf the reward. And considering again the symmetry, it's more likely that they're slowing the quest down that rather than increasing the cost of the reward. Yeah, I agree. It's just more, more likely. I'm just trying to figure out other things they could do. And like when you're slowing down quest procs for Demon Seed in particular, you're also inadvertently nerfing Flesh Giant again. So if you want Flesh Giants to slow down, if you nerf Demon Seed to like seven, eight, nine. Seven in particular is a huge breakpoint for the first one because you can't just tap three times. And tapping three times yeah, is if, probably the if, most if common thing nerf, there. Like if you nerf the first phase to seven damage, for example, it's just like you need to life tap four times in order to proc the first phase. That's so because right now the first phase feels like almost uh like it's just trivial. You play the quest, you tap on two, tap on three, maybe play a tour guide, four mana. Turn four, you tap for free, you proc the first phase. Already, you're setting yourself up for a, a stronger mid game. It makes backfire better for the first phase or raise dead if you have that. But then, if you move the second phase to eight, if you redesigned all three phases, eight is a very strange number because you're not tapping four times ever. So it has to be a combination of raise dead and backfire. And if you already need that for your first phase, you're just you're adding a turn or two to that clock, which makes your flush giants a lot slower. Yeah. 
it's not it's not a much about the self damage because you have the healing to to negate it. It's more about there's just slowing things down. I think making that change would would definitely give the meta more than a, an extra like a, more than an extra turn against a warlock. So that's the way. And, and since this change maybe wouldn't make that much of a difference in wild, then uh, they're just banning the card. From the format. The ban is 100% Demon Seed. Yeah, it's not even close. If they were changing this in Wild, there would also need to be a neutral nerf in Crystallizer, along with a bunch of other stuff. You'd have to hit so many cards. Yeah, so it makes more sense to just ban the card in Wild, and when it rotates, you rework it. Maybe you rework the reward. Like, one of the things that uh, they could do in the future is change the way that Tamsin works with uh, Fatigue Damage, for example, that's something that you really can't do in standard because it just deletes the card, right? It makes it pointless to even have it in the set. Uh, but it's something that you can rework later down the road and would make sense in order to just make that card able to stand in a, le- in a legacy format, right? In a eternal format, not legacy. Non-rotating. Eternal. Yeah, same thing. Um, yeah. And I see what you're saying with Shaman of moving it to three three three. It's I do think that you could probably get away with four three two, just because it's it's kind of a nice progression there. And also Shaman has enough tools to not die to aggro that you don't really need to worry about the first quest. But I could also see the symmetry of three three three. I could totally see that. Yeah, I think the first phase is just really really powerful. But if they want to change it, they'll have to like invent a new reward, right? Yeah. Well, it's. Four versus three would be significant, right? Like four, four ticks versus three means you can't like, like Zapper, Bloom, Serpent Train Portal. You would be overloaded the following turn. You'd have to plan it a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, I want. I want to do four ticks on the first phase. That's kind of weird, right? Because the first phase is making it the most difficult to proc. That's kind of weird, unintuitive for me in a quest line because quest line is about progression, right? Yeah. Uh, like. Think about the warlock, right? It's six, seven, eight. It makes it more and more difficult to complete it. Kind of feels like you're progressing in the quest line. Making it the first phase four seems just a little bit weird to me. But we have it with the anyway. warrior quest, right? That's three, two, two. Maybe they buff that. I don't know. Maybe it's two, two, two. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, I guess the the reason why the some of those. Uh, last phases are two is because they just balanced around it and uh, maybe like for example the first phase in warrior if you give them a weapon after two pirates maybe that's too strong so they determined that it makes some more sense to make the last reward easier but i think i think it's easy, easier to adjust um like like the, the last phase is usually the one that's like it gives you the quest reward right it does, doesn't give you the 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 mid-game rewards that help you just thrive as a deck, right? Yeah, and Alec did say in his tweet, nerfs looking to slow things down further, buffs looking at recent archetypes that didn't yeah, hit as I well as we want. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was also part of my reason. Yeah. Yes, yes. This is what I forgot to mention. This is an important point, which pretty much brought me uh, to my reasoning. Alec was talking about slowing things down. And again, the way you slow things down is yeah by nerfing the quests rather than nerfing other things and making them take longer to complete 
Um, now, as for the Demon Hunter change, it has to be brute. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me that they would nerf the quest. Um, I mean, you could do the first phase five, uh, just like the the two and three, but that makes it increasingly difficult to complete the card draw. Like, since you don't have as much mana, having to draw five cards basically makes it almost impossible for you to to complete the first phase on turn three. It makes it very hard to do it in, in any case. I think that breaks, that's too backbreaking for the archetype. And again, I think the issue with Demon Hunter is not the power level that it exhibits over certain archetypes like you see with shaman or you generally see in warlock it's more of the non-games that brute creates zach think about every screenshot that everyone has ever posted this deck it's not a screenshot of killing them on turn six with lion's frenzy it's a screenshot of brutes yeah it's a screenshot three seven eight brutes coming down on turn four that's what the screenshot is these are non-games we know they nerf non-games. Brute is the cause of the non-games. It doesn't make sense that it's a stat nerf. It doesn't make sense to nerf uh, Brute to a 6-7 because it's still going to be stupid. The only way you change it is by increasing the mana cost. So push it by an additional mana. You make it less likely that these things occur. I'll miss him. Still going to play the deck, and I'm sure it'll be fine on turn 5 or whatever, but like... This was a big part in what, oh, yeah. I'll miss Brute in Quest Demon Like, I mean, I said last week that I'm a Brute addict. But I think this could end up being a fortunate change. Just because of how Lifesteal Demon Hunter just popped up, this deck also utilizes Brute. Brute is a very important card in that deck. And, yeah, uh, fuck Ilganoth. But, uh, <laughs> just, just, I think it's, it's lucky. It's lucky because if they didn't nerf Brute, then I think Lifesteal Demon Hunter would ha- would be in like there would be a danger it would just take over. Especially if you slow like there's like if you slow things down in Warlock and Shaman, then what's the point? Suddenly Demon Hunter just comes in and has its own clock, right? That you can't really go past. And, and that is an issue. By the way, do you remember when Ergonoth was nerfed to two mana by two mana? And people said, oh, this kills the deck. And I said, are you sure, guys? Are you sure this kills the deck? I'm not sure this is enough. And it wasn't enough. Your Ilganoth-related trauma led you to believe that he would be back someday. And here he is, and he's got his new friend. Ilganoth and Glide is the new pairing. Uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. In case, that's what I think the nerfs are. In terms of Elusia, they... uh, like basically, Alex is saying they're reworking Lucia. That's really good because I think if they push the mana on that card, I don't think it even matters. Like imagine if uh, like Shadow Priest had a spell that costs five and had Lucia's effect. I think that Shadow Priest would still play it because it's just crazy strong. Like the the, the body, the mana cost almost doesn't matter. You need to push this mana cost to like to crazy uh, numbers in order to push that out of the deck. So I think a rework is in question. Again, I don't really care how they rework. Like, it's pointless to speculate because there's so many possibilities. I kind of hope Elusia is cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even mind if Elusia is powerful. It's just that not this effect. 
this effect is just mega toxic. I, to- I would even take swap hands until the end of your turn, not the end of theirs. Like, or not until your next. I would take swap just this turn, so it's still a good control card. Yeah, you had, uh, uh, again, Corbett, I think, made the best suggestion way back where you, um, but that might still be too good, where you both hands, uh, like, basically both players uh, copy the opponent's hand for one turn, so you don't waste your opponent's resources. The problem is this is still really strong, and it doesn't make a difference for Shadow Priest, right? It would have made a difference for Control Priest, but for Shadow Priest, it wouldn't matter. Because for Shadow Priest, they're copying you or nothing. Yeah, basically, that's yeah um so you need to eliminate that aspect but i don't know we'll see what what happens uh obviously the effect needs to be flavorful and fit the the voice line share your thoughts with the class or whatever but i don't know what they're gonna do it doesn't matter as long as this card is not in its current iteration i'm fine with it yeah i think it should uh should give your opponent's minions plus one attack your opponent's charge minions yeah okay we have buffs Buffs. buffs. Buffs are more exciting, I would say. So we have buffs in Mage, Hunter, and Warrior. Let's start with Warrior because I think that's the most obvious. It's going to be either the Quest or Pirates, right? Like, it has to be. <sighs> there are two things that they can do. They can reduce the number of Pirates required to proc the Quest. However, I'm concerned with that specific change because Pir- this deck, Quest Warrior, is actually nuts in Wild. I don't no, know it's if fine. you want to... Turn one quest, turn mm-hmm. two, double one drop pirate, turn three anchor. That couldn't possibly be a problem. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure you can buff the quest. I think the main difference between quest warrior and standard and quest warrior and wild. Quest warrior and standard sucks. In wild, it's one of the best decks in the format. It's simply the pirate package. They have... Like, Wild Quest Warrior just has better pirates. In standard, Warrior has six pirates. Bloodsail Deckhand, Harbor Scamp, Cargo Guard, Stormwind Freebooter, Sword Eater, and Stone Maul Anchorman. You can't buff Sword Eater. That, that card, you, there's, no, there's no value to add there, so it has to be one of the other five, or two of the other five, or whatever. Yeah, I can see them buffing some of the pirates in order to help this uh, deck just because uh, it needs a supporting shell. But maybe the best way to buff it is just introduce new pirates in the mini set uh, too. But if you can buff some of these pirates uh, maybe to help set up the mini set, kind of like when they buffed Lilypad Lurker and Elemental Shaman and people said, well, what? That's not going to help. And then came in uh, Primal Dungeoneer. Maybe something like that will occur uh, again, there's also a chance that they will buff some of the late game win conditions available to Warrior, like a Rattle Gourd mana change or something like that, uh, to help like control Warrior decks. But uh, we'll see. Uh, it could be anything. Buffs are harder to predict, but I think that yeah. if you're buffing something that just fell flat, this expansion it would have to be Quest Warrior and Standard. Uh, but you have to be mindful not to buff the Wild version of the deck because that deck is. Crazy strong already. It's very, very and good. Then, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's I think that's that's warrior. Um in terms of hunter, I'm really hoping that they buff lock and load. Lock and load. We talked about yeah. I mean it's such a I mean it's not even that it's like a quality of life change. Uh just make it uh, uh generate spells so you can actually chain it 
would make a lot of sense and will help this deck in, in standard. Again, this is another situation. Quest Hunter in Wild is very powerful. Uh, with Baku, there's an odd Quest Hunter. That deck is very, very good. So you don't want to buff that. So something like Lock and Load can be harmless, like or relatively harmless uh, for the Wild iteration. I would like to see that. They could also buff some of the duds that they printed this set, like all these Wrath cards. Yeah, or really looking bad. at looking at Hunter the past well year and a half, it's Death Rattles and Beasts, right? So okay, I had an idea. Zach, hear me out. Savannah Five Main. Oh come it's, on, hat. Come, it's, it's not even. How scary would that card be on five? It'd be okay. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be scary. It wouldn't be played. In any case, um, that makes me so sad. You could put high main on five, and it wouldn't even see play. That makes me so sad. You know how many games I won, but the board was even, and I slammed a high main, and the game was over. Would the Wrath King see play if it was four mana? Like you make it like a four mana, four or five or something. Gosh, I don't know. Probably not. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> what are you just rushing into? Buffs, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It's just seven buffs, so you need to make very small, like change to just maybe a couple hunter cards, and. And make that, like, have that be a huge difference. And I think that no matter what you do with all the rat package that you introduce this set, it's not going to see play. So just buff, lock, and load and be done with it. So we can play Quest Hunter in standard. I think that's what uh, you do. But I don't know. Maybe there's other things that they can do. It's just that it seems like even if they make buffs to Hunter, to some other things, they're not going to see play. Like, I don't see Beast Hunter being played. Like it's just so. It's Molino has a hand buff build that he's been running for a while in top 100, but that's also Molino. Like it hasn't seen replicated success. I have no idea either. I assume that whatever buffs they make, you're going to set up archetypes in the mini set, and that we are not going to be aware of that until we see both the buffs and the mini set. Okay, Mage Hat Springwater back to four. That's cool. We cool. They w- doing it. Okay. <laughs> there are two archetypes they've tried to push recently. There's Frost and Fire. Yeah, so um, just kidding. I'm not advocating for a spring water buff. No, uh, don't don't uh, drop the pitchforks, guys. We're not buffing spring water. Frost, honestly, I think needs more cards. I don't think it's gonna help buffs. I think the cards are fine. There's just no support for like a frost centric uh, mage deck. Uh, fire, like maybe you buff Antonitis. It's a really seven cool five, card. Seven minute five seven. It's so what he's Just meant to be. Just make it seven mana. Yeah, make it seven mana. Um, like, what other archetypes play minions and mage and fell flat? Um, what is it? Grand finale. Uh, well, that's kind of fire. What do you do? How do you buff it? Like I don't, I'm again, not a it, it I just have needs no elementals. Problem. It needs elementals. No hat. Give Confection Cyclone start of game, draw this. I don't know. Oh, hat, hat, hat. You remember one of the things, okay, one of the things I wanted in the buff is obviously lock and load, right? But there, oh, there's another win condition that fell flat in, in Mage. Wildfire, hat. You, you think it's Wildfire's time? It is a fire spell. Hat, let me remind you, I asked you in a previous podcast if Wildfire would be broken at one mana. You did ask me that. 
would be would you think it would be broken if you just make it one mana? Just you make it one mana. You almost me would I play the card, which I would, but that doesn't mean it would be good. Probably not, but I don't know. At one mana, I think it's interesting because you play it on one, and then you can ping something like they play something. Like th- think how good it is. Like again, it's like like new fight is just useless. Uh, I don't think Quest Mage would play Wildfire if it was one mana. And I think it would help a, a super trash deck. But I don't think it would be enough, right? Like, it wouldn't make, suddenly make you want to play Mordrish all of a sudden because of Wildfire's one mana. Doesn't that card cost 10? That's that's like playing a unicorn. It uh, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. 10 mana. I mean, what is 10 mana, Hath? Um, I don't know. I... I think that they'll push Frost or Fire. Like, I could see what I have written down in the show notes is Rhyme Tongue to a 2-mana two 2-3. Two, That's the one where you only play Frost, but you get a, you get a little freezy guy. Um, if you make that a 2-drop, I think it's a lot more likely to see play. But, yeah, you need more cards. These all need more cards. The buffs might look weird when we get them because know, they're uh, you know what? This, this is kind of what I think with Mage, the buffs are going to look like they probably do nothing, but maybe they set up something for the mini set. Like a Lilypad Lurker. Yeah, uh, I keep bringing this up all the time. But yeah, there's a mini set. We don't know what the cards in the mini set are. Maybe it's going to be some cards that work well in the mini set. Uh, I can see that happening. But um, yeah, I- I'm kind of hoping that they do something with Mage because we've kind of been playing this one deck for too long. They, they, and- they have to make some kind of minion good. They have to. The reason I'm leaning Frost over Fire is because Frost has more minions. I don't think it has enough cards. I don't think it'll be good enough. But maybe it's set up for yet another mini set where they're lazy Frost cards. Yeah, I mean, Shattering Blast to two mana would be interesting. I'd be interested. I'd be curious about that. Like, there's a there's enough here to make something that at least people try. Yeah, I like Shattering Blast to two mana. I like Shattering Blast to two mana, honestly. I think that could work. Because it's not like you you have Frost Nova in the format right now. Yeah. It's setting you up like... Freezes, but if you have freezes, but If you go Cone Shattering Blast and you feel like you worked really hard for that, then that's cool. It's still not even that good, but it's like it's something. And it's not going to see play. Like, if you nerf Shattering Blast to two mana... Like, wait, does Quest Mage play it ever? Probably not... There will be some awful Grandmasters list that runs two copies because it doesn't require the opponent to have minions, and then people will start net attacking it. Oh, man. Wait, wait. You can actually play... Oh, that's actually a dangerous buff ad. You could play it on an empty board. It's one of the cards you can play. Yeah. I don't know. I think that it, it would be fine. Like, But only if you set up the mini set as well, if they there's more fr- frost support or whatever. But it's going to be tough. I think... Mage buffs are going to be tough to help. Like, it needs more than one or two buffs. But I'm looking forward to it either way. It might be a new format next week. Or look like it. And then there's going to be a mini set two weeks later. We just don't have time to uh, acclimatize to to, uh, an an environment head. Yeah. In any case. Yeah. We'll see next week. Um, Next week's going to be a big podcast because uh there's gonna be post patch uh discussion and since there are a lot of nerfs and buffs it's gonna be very much worth listening to obviously the report next week is not gonna happen uh but there will be a report on the 30th of september 
the usual Thursday, and then a podcast likely on the 2nd of October, Saturday. And uh, that's it. Yeah. That's we'll it for the, now. We'll have the show. Yeah, we'll have the show on the 25th. We'll have the show on the 2nd. We'll have the report on the 30th. Um, and, you know, thank you so much for all of our VS Gold subscribers, our Patreon members, our VS Silver subscribers. That's our new plan. If you don't like ads and you like us, you can pay to get more of us and less of ads. Um, and it's a, it's a new tier that we're offering. So thank you so much to everyone that signed up for that. Uh, it, Zach already took my job and told you when the next report's going to be. And uh, Steven Sensei, no one can take your job. You're the best. Thank you so much for the intro and outro. That'll do it for our show this week. Have a good one, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.